you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Andor, Tales of the Jedi, The Mandalorian, and all the other cool and exciting projects we've got going on in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? It's going good. I'm real excited to talk about what was a very fun night of Star Wars TV content that we got <laughs> just yesterday as we're recording this episode on Thursday, October 27th, because it was awesome to get a double dose of live action Star Wars and of animation Star Wars on one night. It was tons of fun. So I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for this. I watched all of it the other day, watch it again. It's uh it's what I, everything I wanted and more, to be quite honest. And we'll talk about that, what that more is and what everything I wanted and, and what it all means, potentially. So, yeah, this, this is kind of – I said this before on Twitter the other day. And, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like we're – as Star Wars is really starting to evolve, and I feel we're seeing the start of the evolution of Star Wars right now, like this year. And it's there's a lot, and, and not just because of Andor, it's everything. I think it's Obi Wan. I think it's Andor. I think it's Tales of the Jedi, and you know everything. Ahsoka is coming out later later this year. Star Wars Visions. There's just so much that's going on, and I just feel like we're it's going to be we're going to see like this the change of Star Wars, the evolution of it. It's not like we're seeing it. It's not literal right in front of our eyes, but this, these are the, the beginning stages of it. I feel like these are and for the and for the good. So, yeah, really exciting. I think Tales of Jedi is just one more thing to add on top of that. Yeah, definitely. So, of course, we're going to be talking all about Tales of the Jedi on this episode. Um, I know at the beginning I mentioned, like, Andor and Mando and all that kind of stuff. We're going to, you know, we'll talk about Andor more uh, next time we get together. And, you know, we'll have probably another full story arc wrapped up by then. Um, But, yeah, it was great to get both of those on the same day yesterday. You know, Andor, we've got... Uh, Andy Circus showing up, Saw Gerrera showing up, the Empire up to some crazy stuff. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on there. But uh, Tales of the Jedi, um, we're just going to jump right into that because I mean, we just recorded a couple weeks ago. There hasn't really been much news since then. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Tales of the Jedi, we've been looking forward to this uh, for a long time. Obviously, all of us being big fans of Star Wars animation. Um, so we got six shorts. Uh, of course, you know, these three shorts or six short stories all focused on Ahsoka and Count Dooku. 
Uh, and we're just going to go through episode by episode and kind of give our thoughts on each one. And we'll start with the first one. And then obviously all three of the Dooku episodes kind of form a story arc. So we can kind of talk about those all together. Um, and still maybe talk about, you know, highlights from each one and stuff like that. And then we'll talk about the last two Ahsoka episodes. Um, but right off the bat, we start with, uh, you know, the, the first episode where we see Ahsoka as a baby. We basically see her be born, be named. We see the village that she grows up in and her mom and the the village elder um, and all that kind of stuff. And it was just really cool to see... Uh, you know, the the culture of I don't even know if it was like the Togruta culture because she wasn't born on. I don't think that was the same planet that all the Togruta get kidnapped from in Clone Wars. Um, it could have just been a different part of the planet, but like it didn't look super familiar. And so I don't know if this is meant to be uh, the same planet. And, you know, if, if the whole ritual with the, the hunting and the mark on the forehead and all that kind of stuff, I don't know if that's sort of a, a culture that all grew to have or if it was just this village or whatever planet they're on but it was really cool to see just within the first few minutes of this short um you really kind of get a sense of like who these characters are how they live their lives um and just sort of what their what their culture is like and and how they you know go about doing things and it's just interesting to see like you know because we all obviously we know jedi come from a lot of different diverse backgrounds. You know, they take kids from all over the galaxy and all different races and everything. Um, but growing up in the temple on Coruscant, like they all kind of grow up under the the same sort of culture and traditions and whatever. And so just seeing a, a completely different world and a, a completely different um, group of people that Ahsoka is part of that. It's like, Oh, I never would have thought of that. Or, um, you know, it's a, a side of her that we obviously have never seen till now. And like, I don't know how much she still sort of would connect with that. I mean, obviously she doesn't, doesn't remember a lot of it, but um, I don't know. It was just really cool to see, um, you know, where she comes from, what, what her people are like and uh, to see even, you know, the, the village uh, elder, like recognize the force potential in her. And of course she says Ahsoka is Jedi um and we know where her destiny is going to go from there but uh you know just really cool um i don't know sweet cute story to see um ahsoka's very beginnings yeah i thought this was a good way to kick off these shorts for tales of the jedi but i will be honest though out of all six this one's probably my least favorite but again it was still really well done in telling and showing us the birth of ahsoka and just kind of what a big deal it was amongst the village, just how excited everyone was. He's had other Togutas peeking in the window <laughs> just to see, get a look at baby Ahsoka, uh, which is kind of cool to everyone to recognize. This, like, I'm not sure if there's like importance or significance to it, but just like, maybe just a close niche family, I guess, um, that this, that community has there. It just any birth maybe would be a, a big deal. So it's kind of cool to see that family community amongst her village. And correct me if I'm wrong, though. I'm dying to watch these all over again. I've only seen each short once, but um, I thought before her mother was taking her out on the hunt and you see her dad, I think kind of fixing like on a ladder, fixing something on their house. He calls her little Soka, kind of how Plo Koon calls mm -hmm. her that amongst the Clone Wars. Yep. Um, so I caught that. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm just wondering if that maybe when Plo Koon came to uh, take her to be trained as a Jedi. He heard her father call her that, and that's something he took to. That'd be kind of a cool little connection there, if that if that was the case. But that also brings me to where 
Because I believe at Celebration, Dave Filoni did say that originally this was supposed to kind of tell that story of Plo Koon um, meeting Ahsoka as, as a child and taking her to be trained as a Jedi. And after watching it, part of me kind of wished that is what we got. Because I just think that would also be a really compelling story too, just seeing how a family would react to a Jedi coming to pretty much take their child and have them be trained in the ways of the Force. Would maybe the mother be reluctant to give up her child or... And then maybe the father would feel it's a great honor for the family to have a child be trained as a Jedi. Just wondering if there's any com- would be conflict there, or maybe they would both feel reluctant, or both would feel um, honored to have their child be trained as a Jedi. So I think that would have been a kind of a cool avenue to explore to kind of see in detail what that process is like for a Jedi to take a child. But I could understand maybe where Dave Filoni didn't want to tell that story, do something a little different, since we kind of you know know <laughs> I guess the outcome of that as far as. Um, we know she's obviously going to be end up as a Jedi. So let's tell something way before that, telling her first life experience, I guess, um, so to speak. So I did enjoy it, but um, out of all of them, this one probably was my least favorite. Um, but still, a solid way to kick off um, the, the style of shorts that we were going to get um, in the series overall. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Just wasn't my favorite. I I, I kind of second what you're saying, Tim. The thing for me, why I think uh it because it, listen i i like this episode a lot like i think we all pretty much liked almost everything of the series right but if there's gonna be six you know things to choose from there's got to be a least favorite it's just you have to rank yeah. it, you know I mean, <laughs> you could you could i mean you could say everything's your favorite but i mean there's got i mean push comes to shove one or you know maybe the least favorite and i would say this tends to be my least favorite when i think about how much i liked all of them but that being said I do think what was important about this episode specifically was setting up the fact that this is more of a mythological, um, you know, you're kind of building up your, that, uh, that, that uh, super, uh, yeah, supernatural thing of the, of the Jedi, which in when you, if you juxtapose um, this, this episode specifically with like Andor, which are, they're night and day different. If you think about it, like what, what's, one of the things I love about what this series does automatically is it immediately gets you into that mode of this is a, this is a Jedi. This isn't just a, you know, you know, this is that fantasy element, you know, that we're, that star Wars has that is needed, I think in, uh, in these series. And now obviously right. And or series doesn't have that. I think in you, what's important about this episode, I think that, you know, I, I think that why it's worthwhile, why it's, it's there right off the bat is because you usually set the tone that this is not just a science fiction like Star Wars story. This is a fan, this is the heavy fantasy mythological story. And and it definitely is that all the way. I mean, if you you could easily just take out the blasters and it would just be a straight up like just fantasy, you know, whatever, right? And I like that. I like that aspect of it. It it definitely feels you know, it got pretty deep there, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, she's witnessing her life and her death. And you have to witness death and you know because you also got to think about too is you're setting up the fact that she has to um you know you're setting up the fact that she's gonna eventually have you know move on in her life and 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 all you know with her uh and her family too i mean that's the other thing that her family has to realize that with that moment of of the of the of the tiger thing and whatever taking her they have to, or they're preparing themselves too and her for eventually having to like have that relationship die in itself you know it, it is there's a metaphor there 
that I think is really interesting that, that in a, and one of the things I love about Dave Filoni is he does a good job of really, you know, emphasizing that. And that's the thing about, um, thing about uh, Star Wars that I think a lot of people don't get that I think George Lucas really instilled into Dave. And Dave has definitely taken it and I think amplified that. The whole idea of telling a bigger, you know, themes and ideas and really and really enhancing them to a really high degree uh, is really important for Star Wars. And I think that obviously all the Star Wars series and, and mostly have done that. Whereas I think Dave really, that those drive what kind of stories Dave tells rather than we'll tell a story and it'll, it'll, the themes will be there, but they're not driving the overall story. If that makes sense. I feel like Dave like finds a theme goes and then just writes a story around the theme more than anything. That's what it feels like. Mm. Maybe it's not the way it is, but that's how it feels. And I feel that all of these are basically that for the most part. And it's a good thing, especially this one. This one is pretty much like I have to really emphasize that Soka is, you know, is able to handle her immortality and her and be able to move on from things based on like just a very early life, you know, experience. And I think that this is what this does. It kind of sets a it's like a it's like a a a, a small uh, example of her life going forward. You know, me, you know, metaphor of her life going forward essentially. So. Yeah, I like not my least favorite probably too, Tim, but I definitely think it's it's super good still, regardless. Yeah, and honestly, like if I had to rank them all, like this one might also be my least favorite. Um, just because it's kind of the it's maybe the most slow paced, has the least kind of action going on. Um, but it's definitely like beautiful. Like it's a beautiful story. It's also beautiful visually. And oh, my God. goodness, like Lucasfilm animation continues to just raise the bar on their stuff, but especially this first episode, just, you know, some of these forest locations and stuff just look absolutely incredible. Um, but also, yeah, I love that. I mean, the episode is called life and death and the, the lesson that her mother teaches her from a very young age, you know, she's, it's like a rite of passage that they go through at a year old um, to take the kid on a hunt and, and make them face death, which kind of seems brutal right like and and weird a little bit just in terms of like what we think of in our culture um but at the same time like it's it's done in such a beautiful way like it, it seems kind of harsh to like kill an animal and make an infant watch and be like hey look at this um but when you're doing it in a way that's like you know again like as you're starting out your journey of life realize like you're not immortal. Like all things begin, all things end. Like, you know, and there's this balance between life and death and it's natural and it's not necessarily something to be afraid of. Um, and you even see, um, you know, as even Ahsoka just being a little baby, like you can almost see that, that message kind of get through to her as like her mom, you know, brings her over to the, the animal that she shot, which by the way, um, Gosh, I'm trying to remember where this was. Maybe it was in the subtitles if they were speaking in a different language or something. But like that was a kaibuk. Um, that was the the animals that um, that you know that they were hunting. I don't remember where I saw that, but it must have been in the episode somewhere because I remember seeing that name kaibuk. And the uh, I don't know where if those have uh, you know appeared in other places in Star Wars. But the one thing I remember it from is the Clone Wars micro series. That's the animal that Yoda like rides into battle on, like in the very first scene of the Clone oh, Wars yeah. micro series. Um, so I thought that was a cool little callback. Um, 
But yeah, like as as they're standing over it and you see Ahsoka is kind of squirming and like uncomfortable at first. And then you see her mother's voice kind of calm her and she's able to to watch and kind of take in this lesson as much as she can, you know, at that age. But um, yeah, it was really interesting. I liked that that aspect of the story a lot. And um, again, you know, I, I don't know like how much of that specifically she's going to remember, but I'm sure that's something that's sort of ingrained in their culture. And I think, um, I don't know for sure, but like, at least in that Clone Wars flashback, when we see Plo Koon uh, meeting her as a child, she looks like she's a little bit older. And so I'm sure that's a lesson that that culture like continues to instill in their kids. Um, and it's obviously something that's going to help her in her journey as a Jedi in general, because just as Jedi with like, detaching yourself from emotional attachments and being involved in potentially dangerous situations like you're gonna have to come face to face with death at some point anyway but then especially with the clone wars and the empire and order 66 and everything that she goes through like ahsoka sees way more death in her lifetime than anyone should ever have to go through yeah um and you know at least we see that from a young age she was kind of guided to be prepared for that so it was a nice uh Again, just a, a nice way to to start off kind of this journey of episodes. Yeah, not just like death in a physical sense, but just in loss too. Because even though he didn't physically die yet, just the loss of her master Anakin to the dark side when she finds that out in Rebels, seeing him as Darth Vader, just probably the biggest shock and loss that she had to deal with uh, mentally and emotionally too that she ever had to experience and probably the toughest time of her life, I would imagine. And you guys make great points too of how this episode, the themes that this episode played on were so good and kind of just helps sets the stage for a character journey that she goes on um, throughout the course of where we see her in Clone Wars, Rebels, um, and of course probably later on in her own series and a little bit we got in the Mandalorians too. So just kind of that this early on in her life that just those themes of kind of the struggles and dealing with pain, loss, and death um, at that early age just helped. Um, in my mind anyway, now just kind of was the beginning of how well she was able to get through those tough moments and just maintain and be true to herself and her beliefs throughout all those difficult times that she had to experience. Um, not just as her time as a Jedi, but afterwards too. So yeah, just definitely some really cool themes and story beats that were kind of laid out in this episode that what makes it stand out, obviously, um, from the rest of the shorts that we got in this one. But again, as we said, how it might not be our favorite, but still all these shorts were great. And um, the themes that this one was trying to tell is what makes this one stand out. I think in my opinion. Word. Well, we go from that one into a trio of Count Dooku episodes back to back. And I loved getting to see Dooku at different stages throughout his time as Jedi. And I also loved um, the way that these three really did form a story arc because you see sort of the steps of Dooku's disillusionment with the Jedi and with the Republic um, culminating with his leaving the Jedi order. Um, and also I think just because these are short, we maybe still don't get all the details that we would like to get as far as like, when did he start working with Sidious and when, you know, like what, how, how did everything go down with sifo and, and all we that? We actually got but more we, details than I was expecting though. We <laughs> did honest. get more details about that in the final episode. Um, a couple of things confirmed that we had speculated about for a long time and also just kind of seeing where some things fit within the timeline. And it's always been kind of murky. 
Um, so I really appreciated that stuff. But um, I mean, starting out with the first episode um, and this one, I'm going to pull it up again real quick. So I forget the names of all of them. The, the second episode is called Justice. And it's where uh, Dooku and his Padawan, Qui-Gon Jinn, are sent to resolve a hostage uh, negotiation um, where a Republic senator's son has been kidnapped by the people on his own planet. And, uh, of course, the Jedi go in thinking that these guys are hostile. They're the bad guys. Like, we need to save the, the senator's son because, you know, he's the good guy. He's with the Republic. And they get there and see that this planet, or at least this area of it, is just barren. The people are living in poverty. And they talk about how their government and their senator has abandoned them and they're exploiting the people in the land and everything. Um, and when the son finds out, he's on their side and he's like, hey, these people had no choice but to kidnap me. Like, I don't blame them because this is basically a, a cry for help. It's a desperate move to um, draw attention to their circumstances. And so... Um, you know, of course, the Jedi are faced with all this information. And then, um, you know, Dooku and Qui-Gon side with the people. And the senator shows up with his army of guards to to try to rescue his son. He didn't know that the Jedi were going to be there because um, I guess they were sent discreetly by the council. And they take up arms with the the villagers and, uh, you know, defend them from, from this guy and his guards. And um, but we see we also see Dooku almost kill him at the end. Um, so in addition to seeing like, okay, how does Dooku process this information that maybe, you know, you're starting to see him see these, these seeds of corruption within the Republic. And this is maybe the first time that he's been presented with uh, a Republic Senator or someone who's supposed to be noble and representing good be so evil. Um, but then of course we also see those seeds of the dark side in him as he almost like kills this guy in cold blood and it's Qui-Gon who stops him. And runs and frees his son and, you know, sort of brings him in to, to negotiate peace. And um, I love at the end of that, too, where Qui-Gon or, um, you know, Dooku and Qui-Gon are talking and they talk, you know, Qui-Gon's like, oh, I was just thinking in the moment, um, which, of course, is like a big message of his in The Phantom Menace as all the other Jedi are trying to predict the future and see, you know, what the Force is telling us and whatever. And Qui-Gon's like be present, be in the moment, you know, listen to the the living force, what it's telling you in the here and now. Um, so we see that he has that mentality and that sort of wisdom, um, even from an early age as a Padawan. And we also see kind of those seeds of darkness in Dooku. So I thought that was, you know, some, some really great insight into both of their characters. And uh, again, also just a, a great first step of seeing, um, what will eventually become Dooku's disillusionment with the Republic. I have to say, and, and everyone uh, who I've, you know, talked to about the series that aren't maybe necessarily mega fans like we are, I, who are fans of Star Wars and are familiar with it, I've seen a lot of people talk about how much they liked this because of the Dooku stuff. A lot of, I've seen, and I don't really share the same uh, sentiment, but a lot of people are really into um, the the Dooku stuff more than the Ahsoka stuff. As far as like the I've seen, I, mean, I know Ahsoka has a diehard fan base. I think overall, it's probably not accurate. But I've seen a lot of people. I've I've seen a lot of people say they like the Dooku stuff, and I got to tell you, I was not expecting to see this kind of stories. And again, this is this is why I've, I love this series so far, is because we're getting this this idea, really insight take. 
and uh, on their on their you know their experiences. And the best part is they're really tight, meaning the uh, storytelling. There's not a lot of like you know fluff as far as like emphasizing things. It's like there are tight stories. They're they're getting right to the point. And it's really nice to see these these snapshots in their lives, and and I think in their lives meaning mostly Dooku. And so with that, it's really interesting because we're like you said, Kyle, we're seeing Dooku form his opinion of the of the Council and of the Republic over this you know period of time, and with this episode specifically, you kind of see. I love the the just the, you know justification of why. And again, I don't want to say justification, but you can see the reasoning of why someone like Dooku would have an issue. Because remember, mm-hmm. look, look at the context of what he is. He's, he's a powerful, he comes from a, of a, of a rich family. He comes from, uh, you know, that you have, to, you know, basically you take care of your business kind of a thing. Like he's not just some, you know, a hippie, you know, like, like Qui-Gon Jinn is a little bit, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way either, but there is the sense of duty and responsibility that Dooku has, um, you know, he gives off anyway. And I think that you you get that into this episode specifically. I think it's really fascinating because you get that, and you immediately, um, and again, you don't have to you don't have to spend so much time on it. You immediately get it when he sits down, and he's not like, "I'm not here to like you know be nice. I'm gonna put down my lightsaber. I'm gonna say what's up, and we're gonna get down to business," kind of a thing. I love that. You're emphasizing, you're showing the audience right away what Dooku is at this point point of his life, even though he is a, uh, you know, he's not he's gonna turn into a Sith Lord. He's not there yet. But you see that sense of of duty, responsibility, and there's no nonsense. And because of that, when you get to that point at the begin later on in the episode, when he's like, uh, you know, he's totally uh, choking out that guy about ready to kill him. You see where he gets there, and you see where a guy like himself could get to that point where he's like, yeah, the Jedi are messed up. Like I, it, they, they are. You know, I left the order already, which we'll get to that at some point. Um, you know, and you see all that, the roots of it are here. And I love that. I love the fact that we get that and we're seeing that kind of evolve. And this is, I think, the farthest what um, that we've gotten a non-book, comic book uh, story, right? This is a, of, of any kind of live action animation. This is the, 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 the oldest of the timeline, correct? Am I, am I wrong in this assessment? Well, I think so, yeah, as far as pre-Phantom Menace stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. not counting so, I mean, the High Republic, but <laughs> that time period. But no, yeah, we're not we're not there yet. I mean, I, I think both the, the the little kid episodes will probably uh, for, take that over. But you get what I'm saying. Like we're yeah. we're seeing the really emphasized of why someone in the Jedi can be like, man, like this is this kind of sucks, and, and it makes sense to be someone like Dooku because there's that sense of responsibility, and the Jedi and the Republic aren't really fulfilling it. And I and again. You can't really blame him for being upset. You can blame him for his mm-hmm. actions, but you can't blame him for being upset. And I think this episode did a phenomenal job of doing that and also showing you how – also setting up the relationship between him and Qui-Gon Jinn that, that was definitely you know talked to us a little bit about in that um, – you know in Attack of the Clones. You can see a little bit more developing of that in these – you know again, a couple not very much time, but really does a, a good job of, of – they do a lot with a little time they, they're given. So – yeah, I, I, I love this uh, little short. Yeah, this one was really cool and just kicked off what was a great, pretty much a three-part story about Dooku's time as a Jedi that we never got to experience before. I, I absolutely love this. And just seeing right off the bat, 
Dooku and Qui-Gon on a mission as Master and Apprentice. It's just really cool. But I didn't see Qui-Gon with a Padawan braid on in there. I'm not sure <laughs> if I just missed it or if it's hidden somewhere. But Or maybe he's not a Padawan anymore, but they just went on a mission, kind of how Obi-Wan and Anakin did from time to time. But still, regardless, seeing them work together um, was just really cool to see. And I just echo what you guys were saying about getting into the mindset of Dooku here as a Jedi, how even though we know he falls to the dark side, it's kind of one of those things where it's come, it's coming from a right place of motivation. And you can just tell he's someone who firmly believes in justice at this point in his life and wants to see it done to these people. Cause he had that great line here where um, the Senator tries to have Dooku and Qui-Gon stand down saying the Jedi serve the Senate and Dooku just responds back saying, no, the Jedi serve the people of the Republic. And it's like, yes, that's how it should be. And he's right. How the Jedi lost their way during the Clone Wars, how they were mainly focused on serving the Senate over the people. And obviously, as you said, he just, his actions about trying to drive home that point were obviously wrong and going to the dark side and starting a war uh, about that. But it's coming from, especially at this point, it's coming from a place where you can really appreciate and understand what kind of Jedi Dooku was here. And this, but obviously the hints were here also going aggressively and force choking um, that Senator here. But I just thought that was such a great line where he said, we serve the people of the Republic. Like that's what the Jedi should be. Um, and this episode's titled justice. And I couldn't help but think during that moment, and when Dooku said that line, there's that great line Plo Koo said to Boba Fett in the season two finale, where he just says, talked about the Jedi, just goes, we are justice. And, but that kind of gets warped a little bit amongst the Jedi heart, that that view of it. But at that moment right here, I think Dooku absolutely had the right sense of why the Jedi are justice in the galaxy and what they should be doing here. So all that was just fantastic. And seeing, getting peeling more layers off of Dooku's character and seeing where he's coming from. It was, and kind of this was at least for us as an audience, the first time at this stage early in his life, getting to see that. So yeah, this was a really cool episode to kick off this uh, Dooku story arc that we got in Tales of the Jedi. I absolutely love this. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, Paul, you were saying there's a lot of people that have been saying they like the Dooku stuff more. And I would kind of put myself in that camp. I mean, I love all Same. of these episodes. <laughs> and actually, my my I'll talk at the end and say, like, which ones are my favorites. But um, my top two episodes are one Dooku episode and one Ahsoka episode. But overall, I feel like it did more for the character of Dooku because we explored a time period of his life that we've never seen before. Absolutely. We know so, we know mm-hmm. so little about him before his time as a Sith Lord. Um, and it was really cool just seeing like we know like I feel like we know enough from the movies like you can see the corruption of the the Republic and the Senate and sort of the complacency of the Jedi Order that stuff is seeded all throughout the prequel trilogy and so you can see just from watching that like oh it makes sense that you know if Dooku saw that coming that he maybe grew disillusioned but like getting to see it see specific instances of like things that he was presented with face to face um and um you know ways that that affected him and ways that he he dealt with that it's just cool to get those specific stories and again you know dive more into his relationship with Qui-Gon and his relationship with Mace Windu and the other Jedi um which we'll talk about in the next episode here but yeah I just love uh you know how much this really fleshed out his character. I feel like I have more appreciation for the character of Dooku overall now, now that we just know some more so much more about 
him throughout different time periods in his life. Um, but then going into the next episode, which is titled Choices, um, this is now uh, Dooku and Mace Windu. Uh, presumably Dooku's a little bit older, like he and Mace are both Jedi Masters, um, and they're going to investigate the murder of a fellow Jedi um, on a, a different planet. And once again, you find out that a corrupt senator was involved and that it was actually the good guys who turned on this Jedi and killed her. And I forget why... Um, but I think it was something involved, like the Jedi had been there to investigate something shady that was going on and the Senator was involved with it somehow. And so they had the Jedi killed. And so Dooku and Mace, you know, take out all these battle droids. Um, but Dooku ends up inadvertently like killing the, the Senator that's involved in this. Cause like he has him, you know, disarmed or like on the ground or whatever. And then the guy gets up and tries to kill Dooku and, um, Dooku like deflects his blaster shot back at him. Um, and it and was, wasn't it Mace who actually did that? I thought it was Dooku because I'd have to go back and watch it again. But I remember at the end, uh, Mace kind of talks about how like Dooku instigated the, the incident and that it ended with a death of a senator and that Dooku was kind of responsible for that. Um, well, he definitely been... started it because <laughs> he threw yeah, his light yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> it could have been Mace who actually deflected the shot. I thought it was Dooku, but I could be wrong. I, have to, I definitely want to go back and watch these all again. I've only watched one so I know, <laughs> or watched them once. I mean, but um, but yeah, as Dooku is kind of piecing piecing all this together, he is the first one to ignite his lightsaber. Um, whereas mace even presented with enough information to come to the conclusion that oh these are the bad guys and we should apprehend them or whatever he's like this wasn't our orders we came to investigate like we're not gonna start anything he doesn't want to to draw his lightsaber at least not be the first one to like obviously he would defend himself um but dooku kind of like goes on the offensive here and um so again this is where you see him kind of getting you, you see more of his disillusionment with the Republic because we're dealing with another corrupt senator who has murdered a Jedi. But you also see his approach versus Mace's and Dooku wants to jump in and take action and do what's right. And again, sort of be that harbinger of justice as he sees it. Um, whereas Mace is kind of weighed down by like, oh, we have to obey our mandate. We have to do what the council said. We have to consider like the politics of it all and yada, yada, yada. And so, um, you know, again, Dooku sees this this corruption rising in the Republic and then sees the inability or the unwillingness of the Jedi to take the necessary action against that. Um, and then even at the end, too, you find out like uh, the, the Jedi who was killed was on the council and Mace is promoted to fill her council seat. Um, and when he tells Dooku that Dooku's like, wait, did you know about that from the beginning? Like, was that... Is that why you didn't, you know, why you acted the way you did? Or, or did that kind of um, inform your actions in any way? And it's not like Mace did anything wrong or anything shady, but you can understand why Dooku would be suspicious of him maybe having ulterior motives. And um, again, you really just see that weakening of his faith in the Jedi Order, um, you know, in a way that was really effectively done. And, you know, you put two Jedi in a, a situation where there's tough choices to be made. And you can understand why each of them is making the decisions that they do. Um, but, you know, they just come into conflict and you can see why it would send them down different paths. So, um, yeah, this was, uh, again, just a, a great next step in showing um, Duke who's eventually separating himself from all that.
Yeah, and I was surprised at first when this uh, short started where we learned that we're seeing Mace not as a member of the Jedi Council. It's like, for some reason, you just always associate Mace as a Jedi Council member, kind of as you do Yoda. So it was kind of cool to see him on a mission where he doesn't have that rank just yet. But obviously, like you said, we get to see that um, happen in this episode. And yeah, this one, not probably my least favorite of the Dooku story arcs, but still a lot of great stuff being told here. And just again, showing uh, the loss of faith that Dooku is having with the Jedi and how they go about things. And the ending of it, kind of that conversation he had with Mace is probably my favorite part of it um, for that suspicion he had. But then also Mace's response to him, which I have to paraphrase here again for not remembering the exact dialogue, but coming to the point as, as far as how the Jedi are going to be different than, you know, the Senate and go about things differently and avoid corruption. We were saying that as, as a member of the Jedi Council and the Jedi Order, we will not do things um, out of pride and out of like something to the effect where we're not going to let politics and like pride and haughtiness get in the way of doing things. But that's exactly what happens to the Jedi Order by the time we get to the Clone Wars where they are serving more of the Senate and their hubris and their pride that kind of leads to their downfall during that time as well. So again, paraphrasing what Mace Windu said, but he, the things he said in that moment are, are exactly what happened to the Jedi and what led to their downfall. I just found that just very interesting. And him, out of all of them, really, is the one who embodied those two uh, qualities that really showed how far, how far the Jedi have fallen. Uh, I think it makes Windu out of all the Jedi during the prequels is the one that showed that by the time we get during the Clone Wars and especially in Revenge of the Sith. So um, just, again, more foreshadowing there as far as, and as far as both characters, in my opinion, and the direction that they went. Um, so, yeah, but just another yeah. story arc that was cool to see Jedi in different roles. Dooku still as a Jedi here, but, you know, his faith kind of wavering and then seeing Mace um, not as a Jedi Council member, but see him become one by the end and just see how his ideas and how he felt things will be different um, didn't end up being the case uh, by the time we get to the events of the Clone Wars. So again, some more cool foreshadowing, I thought, in this uh, short. Yeah, for me, I I also really thought this was like my least favorite of the Dooku episodes. Again, not terrible by any means, but you are, you're really giving us a, a, a different view of were maces and what i what i did like about this was it really emphasized that you know he's trying to be something that he'll just be corrupt he'll corrupt himself through legalism and i've always talked about how the jedi are emphasized through legalism and they become too you know founded by rules not and and not letting not you know give into their feelings more than they or they need to give in feelings they need to give into their feelings more than what they have. And, you know, talk about, you know, mm -hmm. look at the, the, the difference between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. You see things like, or you hear things like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, you know give in to your feelings, you know, you know, whatever. Uh, or, you no, know, he says, trust your feelings. You know, that's what Obi-Wan says. And then you have the emperor says, give in to your feelings. It's just interesting because I think that time you're seeing you're kind of seeing that not uh, that the ideas of that on this episode given to us, but not they're not saying their feelings. But you're giving someone who's like, "Hey, like I'm like I'm going to listen to reason, right? And I'm I'm Mace Windu. I got to hear everything out." Whereas 
you're seeing the confliction of why the Jedi are resistant to go under their feelings with with Count Dooku. He's a great great example of that. He gave in. He trusted his feelings. He was right, but at the same time, uh, like he you know he give, he gives in to like these things too. It, it makes him you know corruptible. And I like the the idea you're having two extremes on each side of that in different parts of their life at that point, right? And, but they mm-hmm. they become extreme opposites, which I like. So you're, it's really emphasizing what's wrong with the Jedi Order moment later on, but we're seeing it at a different time. If that makes any sense, <laughs> what I'm trying to say. But with, with Mace Windu, we're seeing the the the, the, the makings of. I'm, I'm just going to be all by the book. It's got to be this is the order. You know, take a seat, Junk Skywalker. You know, like yeah. it's like it's it's all about that. It's about the process of the order, and you know, we grant you that. You know, this is the rankings, and you know, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. You know, and and it's just uh, it's interesting. I like the ideas of these different extremes that eventually happen, but then they're but they're not there yet. But you're seeing the makings of both extremes on two different people. I thought that was really well done. Uh, real quick, um, that line I was talking about at the very end, um, I put the episode on real quick to get this subtitles. I really wanted to stress home the point that what Mace Windu says here. And it's when Dooku asked him at the end, do you think the Jedi can maintain peace if they take everything the Senate says as law? And then Mace Windu's response is, luckily we are guided by our council and not by politics nor ego. And those are the two things I was trying to allude to for Ooh what really Mace Windu shows during the prequel and Clone Wars era. Obviously is Mace Windu. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, the way he says, "Mm, I don't think the Sith can return without us knowing a little ego there. And this is the way he says, kind of judging Anakin before they're announcing they wouldn't train him. There's tons of ego there. So again, just showing what he says right here, he does exactly that, which leads to the Jedi's downfall. So I just really love that aspect of him. Kind of at this point, anyway, having the ideals of not letting those two things um, affect the Jedi Council and why he believes the Jedi will maintain peace ends up doing the exact opposite and causes the downfall. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love what you were saying too, Paul, about just again how you just see the even with Qui Gon too, like so far with these three episodes, we see in Qui Gon and Mace and in Dooku, like the you see shades of the people that they will become. Um, you see Qui Gon taking the third option, living in the moment, um, you know, and, and sort of having this wisdom that the other Jedi don't have. You see Dooku, again, we see shades of the dark side in him and we see him growing disillusioned with all this stuff. And we see the seeds of Mace becoming sort of the poster boy for the uh, complacent, uh, overconfident Jedi council that's going to, you know, let Palpatine swoop in and, and take power right out from under their nose. So, um Cool to see that continuation in that episode. And then we get to what is my favorite episode out of the batch, uh, <laughs> the Sith Lord. And again, this one. Not me. It's my it's my second least favorite. <laughs> Your second <laughs> least favorite? Wait, oh, come on. I was joking. I'm, of course, <laughs> it's my favorite episode. It's amazing. Yeah, this one. And again, I mean, this has so many uh, cool different moments to it. First of all, we start out with uh dooku in the jedi archives erasing uh camino from oh, man. when the, i saw that I was like archive. wow <laughs> finally <laughs> yeah i was like oh and i think we all pretty much figured that it was dooku like even see i was 
I always thought it was Sifo Dias. I always thought Dooku had Sifo Dias did it because Dooku was no longer part of the Jedi Order and Sifo Dias was his way in to delete Kamino from there because he still was a part of the Jedi Order. That's how I always took it up until now. Yeah, see, it's always been a little murky, but I feel for me, like just given the information that we're given in episode two, because in episode two, like we're not told much about Sifo Dias, but we're told that Dooku used to be a Jedi. Um, and obviously that he had a hand in the creation of this clone army because, you know, he recruited Jango Fett. And so I always assumed that it was Dooku that erased it from the archives. But it also, you know, it you certainly had a leg to stand on if you thought it was Sifo-Dyas. Um, But it also answers the question from the Clone Wars episode. So remember in um, the Clone Wars episode, The Lost One, where Anakin and Obi-Wan are on the trail of sifo and trying to figure out what happened to him. And they find the guy in the prison cell. And he says, like, it's the the pilot or whatever that was with him. He's like yeah. the chancellor's aide or something. And he says, someone wanted to be sifo And then Dooku mm. comes in and kills yeah. him. And so you assume, like, oh, maybe that was Dooku. And so it's like, did Dooku just uh, place the the order for the clone army under sifo name or something like it's still not really it's like okay we have more information but we still don't have the whole puzzle and i was always kind of frustrated by that because after all those years after episode two of wanting to know the story of sifo then we finally got a clone wars episode about it and i felt like it still just left me with more questions than answers and but now that lines up because someone wanted to be sifo and then we see dooku going into the archives entering sifo name or password or whatever, basically impersonating sifo to erase Camino from the archives. Um, and that was like, ah, okay, there it is. That's why he wanted to be sifo Now, did he also yeah. impersonate sifo to order the clone army? We don't know, maybe. Um, but to at least see him, you know, erasing Camino under that name was, was really cool and a big sort of connective tissue moment. Um, but then we go from then he he goes back out into the library and everybody's kind of buzzing and it's like he's like oh what's going on and he's talking to Jocasta New and she's like oh you haven't heard your old Padawan Qui Gon came back and he found this kid that he thinks is the chosen one and then Dooku goes and talks to Qui Gon about it. Well, I think she says so, it was that he encountered a Sith Lord, not the chosen one. Yeah, oh, Sith right, Lord. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah no, you're right. One. Yeah. Again, this is why I need to go back and rewatch these. I think that's what I was expecting it to be, um, because obviously during well, especially Menace, after you Jedi Lost, those, you you, ha- you have all those yeah. scenes where where he uh, brings you know Anakin before the the council and all that. But well, um, it, well, and and the Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, I meant Jedi Lost, but the other book, um, the the Obi Wan Kenobi and um, Qui Gon Jinn novel by Claudia Gray where you em- it emphasizes that Dooku and um, Qui-Gon were heavily inve- you know, investigating or researching the whole idea of um, the Chosen One um, that mm. I think Dooku helped kind of push. But if I'm, remembering, if I'm remembering that book correctly. Yeah, it was definitely implied how the fascination that Qui-Gon had with that and pro- just prophecies in general um, amongst the Jedi. Hmm. Came, yeah, and, and but 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 Dooku was the one that helped kind of yeah. push that along, correct? Yeah, okay, that's why I remember that correctly. Okay, yeah, so that was that was kind of the first place my mind went, but then yeah, you're right, she says, like, you're, you're a friend has encountered a Sith Lord. Um, 
we see Dugu talking to Qui-Gon about it. And again, it's when they're back on Coruscant during that time in Phantom Menace where they're talking, you know, tell the, the council about the Sith and about Anakin and all that. And so just to hear Dooku talk to, to or hear Qui-Gon talk to Dooku about that stuff. First of all, I mean, we knew we were getting this, but it was just cool to hear Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn again. Yeah. Um, but also, again, like solidifying the timeline of knowing, okay, um, you know, Dooku was still, it's it's kind of questionable if he was still part of the order or if he had already left, but was still kind of hanging around. Um, I've seen some people kind of use that interpretation to kind of make things line up with some of the books and stuff, because this has created a couple inconsistencies. Um but I guess you would assume maybe he has left the order already, and that's why he needed Sifo-Dyas's name to be able to, you know, why he needed to impersonate Sifo-Dyas in order to erase Kamino. But at the same time, it seems weird that if he wasn't part of the, the Jedi Order anymore, like, why would he be allowed in that section of the archives in the first place? Um, yeah. And maybe Sifo-Dyas was just a little bit higher rank. But at the same time... If it's like if it's a matter of Sifo-Dyas was on the council and Dooku wasn't, it's like, well, we don't see Sifo-Dyas on the council in episode one. And we know this is right at that time period. So um, still a little bit inconsistent as far as timeline goes. But regardless, like it was it was still cool to, <clears throat> to at least see this solidified. Like now we know at what point Dooku was was working on the clone army and was like he erased the he was erasing Camino from the archives while Qui-Gon was in the council chamber, like telling them about the Sith Lord. Um it's just kind of crazy well, to, and, be, and to, to be know, fair be able to put those pieces I, together I, now. I don't think that him being there is that big of a deal. You can leave the order for all they know, because here's the thing. The way I look at it is like this, right? If you leave the order, you're they're not gonna let you operate with a with a lightsaber. Or if you are they're going to come after you. So I feel like there's, it's not like you're never going to be, and you know, cause I, I, yeah, I just don't feel that they're going to ever, ever like say like, Oh, you can't ever enter these, these halls again. You are an awful person. Like I never got that impression when they left, you know? And I feel like, again, well, if, no, but in, so up, in the, in, in the Dooku Jedi Lost book, he actually kind of leaves on good terms. Like he tells Yoda that he's leaving and he offers to surrender his lightsaber and Yoda says, no, keep it um yeah that see so, yeah I, 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 yeah and so i, I don't I, I honestly that i did not like that book i barely remember it um to be quite honest honestly um, but, i barely i barely remember it either but i saw uh the author of it kevin scott was talking about it on twitter earlier today like in relation to how yeah. it lines up to the episodes and he was kind of talking about oh here's some different ways you could look at it and, and interpret things and that's kind of one of the things he mentioned yeah, I, was yeah, that I don't... because he because he left on good terms and yoda told him to keep his lightsaber that maybe he was still and like maybe came to visit occasionally I, I never i don't i never took it as showed up you'd be ostracized or like i can't believe you're here i always look to it as if it showed up maybe it's a, they're gonna want to rejoin the order they kind of you know they, they did their thing and they're coming back like i never looked at it like that so i i never thought that him showing up was like this awful thing um to be honest i always forgot like, oh yeah i forgot he left the order you know i always i totally forgot about that to me it's not that's not that big of a deal seeing that there because you know but i but but it makes more sense though why he needs sifo to get in there and to delete the camino planet 
Um, so that all kind of makes makes a lot more sense of why he would need Cephas and impersonate him if he's no longer on the in the order. His his access would be like, hey, what is Count Dooku doing in here? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh god, yeah. like that would immediately uh, put him as now you. A- you could also look at it from the angle of if he is still part of the order, but maybe is already working with Sidious and maybe already has plans to leave that maybe he like, even if he and Sifidius are the same rank, maybe he could have erased it himself. Maybe he puts in Sifidius's information because they're already planning to sort of like to, to pin it on Sifidius and use yeah. him as the scapegoat and then kill him. So that if anybody ever finds out about this, it all just goes to a dead end. Yeah, see, I'm coming from the mindset that he is still part of the Jedi Order during this time, because we know how such a rare thing it is for a Jedi just to leave the Order on their own account. I mean, they have the statues of the Lost Twenty, and that's how rare it is. And to me, I just don't think they'd he'd still have like the same privileges and access to all this stuff if he wasn't a Jedi, still a member of the Jedi Order, and just everyone kind yeah. of talking to him casually, like he's still part of the family type of thing. Um, and as far as him erasing Camino using Sifo Diaz's ID, I think that's exactly what it is, Kyle. It's just all part of the plan and what they're setting up for um, when he does leave and he's going to become the leader of the Separatist movement. Um, they don't want to give any clues to put two and two together as far as him being the one to create the clone army, and yet he's now the leader of the Separatist movement. And it just kind of re- it would reveal more of Palpatine playing the war on two fronts, so to speak. So I think it's all for the sake of saving his his name, pinning it on Sifo Dia, so nothing leads back to um, him being in his plan working with Palpatine. So that's kind of how I view it. But at the same time, watching this whole first part of this episode and this whole sequence, it was just such a trip to see all this stuff happening during the events of The Phantom Menace. It reminded me a lot mm-hmm. of reading the Darth Plagueis novel for the first time, where we learn, even though that's not canon now, how Palpatine killed... Darth Plagueis during the events of the Phantom Menace as well. And Plagueis was still alive for most of that movie. And I remember reading that. I was like, wow, I'm going to look at that movie in a totally different light now, knowing that Plagueis is still involved here. But um, like I said, even though it's not canon anymore, I'll kind of have that same feeling watching the Phantom Menace, knowing that Dooku is still part of the Jedi Order here and that the events of setting up the clone army and the Clone Wars itself is being done as we're watching the sequence on Coruscant in the Phantom Menace. It's just really cool just how it's all lining up. See, and what it what what really quickly Tim, what if Dooku or not Dooku, uh Plagueis really was still like that is somewhat still canon. Like that I would love it if it was like, to be they, honest. Cause I thought that was really I would cool. And it wouldn't affect the stuff that's going on in this moment, as far as I remember, because it's been 10 years since I read that book, but um, it would just be cool to have all this stuff kind of lining up and leading towards uh, the events that we see in the movies and the prequels and Clone Wars. It just just goes to show how how much far ahead Palpatine <laughs> was working behind the scenes here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then of course we get the the introduction of Yaddle as well. Um, Woo! Voice, voiced by Bryce Dallas Howard, who does a, a fantastic job voicing the character. And also, yeah. I've seen so many people laughing at the fact that just like she talks normal and like, yeah, I was you know, curious how so they're going to do that. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a Yoda species thing. It's just Yoda that does that. Um, I don't know either because he learned how to talk backwards or just because he's 
800 years old. We have no idea how old Yaddle is, but I assume she's not nearly as old as Yoda. Um, Especially, you know, the way that Bryce Dallas Howard does her voice. Like, she sounds older, but she definitely doesn't sound, like, ancient. Um, You know, so, um, but yeah, that was was fun to see. Um, But it's interesting, too, because we, like, going back to the whole um, Dooku leaving the Jedi kind of thing, um i don't remember like this is i feel like in some of the old legend stories like i don't know that there was ever like a solid definitive version of how that story went but i felt like it was qui-gon's death that was like the catalyst that finally pushed dooku out of the jedi order yeah i remember reading um, stuff about that too Yeah. yeah that he had grown disillusioned that he was already working with palpatine on the side um you know hadn't fully like gone over to the dark side to become a sith lord yet but he was already you know kind of in palpatine's pocket so to speak um but it was almost like qui-gon was the like his relationship to qui-gon was like the last thing that was keeping him tied to the jedi order and qui-gon's death was the thing that finally caused him to you know just cut ties completely um which is kind of alluded to in this because again you know then the story kind of jumps forward um to you know the end of the phantom menace where you know qui-gon is dead and dooku is looking at the tree in the courtyard of the jedi temple and talking about how he used to bring qui-gon there as a boy um yeah it was so great and again seeing him at the temple you know twice back to back you know you do kind of get the sense that like he is still part of the order but maybe is having his doubts at this point and um you know, is so kind of torn up over Qui-Gon's death. But also, we definitely do know he's also still, like, he's already working with Palpatine at this point. Not only because we see him go in and erase the archives under Sifo-Dyas's name, but then because of what happens next. And, um, you know, Yaddle comes and talks to him and says that the the Jedi Master, or the, the Council is all about to leave for Qui-Gon's funeral on Naboo. And... Dooku basically says, oh, you know, go on without me. I don't think I'd be very pleasant company because, you know, he's upset about Qui-Gon's death and he's not very happy with the Jedi right now. So um, he goes off on his own. But Yaddle, sensing maybe something's up, follows Dooku to the industrial sector of Coruscant where we've seen him have secret meetings with Sidious so often and goes to that same hangar. And, um, man, first of all, just what a treat it was to get Ian McDermott back as Palpatine. Yep. Um, Seriously. Like, we knew that was coming, too. But, like, anytime that we get that in animation, it's always so, like, I don't know. For me, it's just one of those moments that, like, like we're so used to hearing um, Ian Abercrombie or uh, Tim Curry, you know, do Palpatine and Clone Wars. And, like, they do a great job. But then when you get, because um, Ian McDermott did it in Rebels, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or at least like uh, yeah, the, last, yeah. the last season of Rebels. The last know, part. Yeah, last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the beginning, was, it was Sam Witwer. But, um, yeah, just any time, you know, just it's one of those things where it's like getting Frank Oz back as Yoda, right? Where, you know, your brain is just like, wait, am I watching a Star Wars movie right now? Like, is this, you know, new Ian McDermott Palpatine dialogue from the prequel era? Like, you know, what is going on here? Um, and he just gives such a, a fantastic performance. You know, he's always so just so sinister and, and menacing, but like, I just enjoyed that part of it so much. Um, you know, hearing them discussing their plans and Yaddle of course has snuck in behind Dooku and she's spying on him and then tries to be heroic and stop them from 
enacting their plans and she realizes i think at first she doesn't quite realize that dooku has like fully gone over to the dark side um or at least wants to believe that he hasn't or that he won't because she realizes that sidious is the sith lord and she's like you know dooku come away from him you know let's take him down together and uh dooku is like no like kill her or, or sidious is like you know kill her and prove your loyalty to me and that's exactly what dooku does um in just a you know fantastic lightsaber duel they always you know deliver the goods in that department but gosh it was just so heartbreaking like and you knew from the beginning yaddle was not going to make it out of this she certainly wasn't going to defeat dooku um but there were just some great moments in this duel where um you know they're they're fairly evenly matched at first you know but like just the fact that she's in the presence of two sith lords like you know she's she's out of her element and she keeps trying to plead with dooku to see reason and and come back to the light and you kind of see him falling further and further to the darkness over the course of this fight and obviously like this is the moment where you know this is the thing that kind of pushes him over the edge and it's like qui-gon's death probably gets him there emotionally but like the the actions of this duel and killing yaddle is like okay now like i'm I'm not going back. Like I'm a Sith Lord from this point forward. Yeah. Pretty much um, like Anakin cutting off Mace's arm. <laughs> like there's no yes. going back from there. Yes. I was even almost going to say Anakin killing Dooku. Like that really is kind of the, no, well, I was going to say the catalyst for no. Anakin's fall, but I'm like, if you're going to say that you could even go back to him slaughtering the Tuscans. Um, yeah. Yes, I, definitely, I, I definitely, think, yeah. definitely him cutting off Mace's arm, but then like, you know, he swears himself to be a Sith Lord right after that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah, that's like the first time that he he takes action against the Jedi. Um, and it's just kind of like the, the lines are clearly drawn there. Um, but man, just like the, the moment when Yaddle gets up in the doorway and is fighting yeah. <laughs> kind of from the, the high ground, if you will. Um, but then he uses the force to just hit the door switch and it just comes down and seemingly crushes her. Like the the emotional roller coaster of like the last minute of this duel. Because like, again, I was expecting that Dooku was going to kill her. I didn't expect her to make it out of this. But for the fight to kind of just abrupt, you know, like stop abruptly and him just drop a giant door on her. I was like, my jaw was hanging open. I was like, oh man, I was not expecting it to be that brutal. And then next thing you know, the door starts opening and there's Yaddle with the sun beaming in behind her and the force theme playing. And it's this heroic moment where it's like, oh, she's not dead yet. And she's going to continue to stand against the darkness. But it takes all the strength that she has just to lift that door. And she tumbles out just looking exhausted and heartbroken. And like, really just the look on her face, just like, broke my heart because you just with her eyes like she's pleading with dooku she's realizing that she's gonna die that she's given it her all and that there's you know there's nothing she can do to stop this terrible thing from happening and then um you know again after this <laughs> this heroic epic moment of lifting the door she's just got nothing left and dooku just stands over her and you know says like be at peace master yaddle and just kills her with his lightsaber and it's it was like, oh no, oh yay, oh no. Um, <laughs> but man, what an ending. Um, and then, of course, Palpatine just standing in the shadows watching the whole <clears> thing play out and everything going exactly to his Smiling. Because it was just so fantastic. Yeah, I, I really liked Yaddle 
I thought Bryce Dallas Howard did a great job of giving Yaddle a unique voice and not also sounding exactly like Yoda. Cause that, because I'll be honest, like I, I was, I was like, how are they gonna do Yaddle's voice? And the fact they they went about it a little bit differently, I really liked. Because if you do, if she does exactly what Yoda does, it's one, it's too on the nose, and it also takes away from Yoda's individuality. To be honest, his uniqueness, and I think I'd rather keep that, I that specific with with him than with I'll give it to like all the species of Yoda and Yaddle. It mm. also lets you have later on you establish now that baby Yoda, aka my boy Grogu, can he doesn't have to talk like yeah. Yoda. He can talk he can talk like a normal person. And I, I, I thought you brought up a great point too, Kyle, about how that we don't really know how old Yaddle is. So for all we know, we could be doing like a uh you know, he he could be way older than she is. And so there is something really unique about that. I thought was cool. Um, I thought Yaddle was done really, was was done beautifully, and we all we all wondered where Yaddle was. She just kind of disappeared, and that's kind of the beauty of Star Wars. I think specifically of the George Lucas era. I think Lucas would just do random things and then kind of like not worry about them, and like, oh yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a second Yoda. It'll be kind of cool, and he'll freaking like, I don't want to do that one. Let's, let's move on. And it, 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 his character that's established is completely gone, and it just feels like that's all over the place in, in the original trilogy and, and prequel trilogy always the kind of weird like not subplots but kind of sub characters that you like, kind of like, like or, or a sing right we'll tell yeah. thing. We, everyone thought that she was gonna be this great character and she wasn't like there's lots of random stuff like that that's not really doesn't really happen in the uh the the post george you know pre you know in the disney era and i don't want this is not a shot at disney or or the sequel trilogy or anything like that but more just like Maybe it's because it's not one more singular vision that you don't really have a lot of those things happening as much. But uh, at any rate, um, I, I thought this whole thing was great. It was a good example of seeing why Yaddle's not there. And also you're pu- you're pushing the narrative of what exactly Dooku is doing. And you're giving us, I love, love, love all the stuff of like, you know, basically Yaddle's there for all these big moments of Dooku is by coincidence. And the fact that, you know, you're seeing him, like, connect with his, with his Padawan for a split second where there's, like, you know, like, he's not moved on from, from Count Dooku, but Qui-Gon is his own man. And he doesn't need Count Dooku's guidance or, or opinion. And not in, a, not in a bad way. And I love the moment when he says they grow up so fast, don't they, our apprentices. And that whole idea that these apprentices aren't necessarily, like, just their friends. They're their children. And I love to see that. Like mm. we kind of get that a little bit in Attack of the Clones, when you know he says, "You know, you're, you're the closest thing do I have to a father? And, Why don't you ever listen to me? I am trying." I mean, like that whole thing, right? <laughs> but wonderful but impression. That, but, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> but what's but what what I do find it interesting that they later talk about their brotherhood or they show us their brotherhood more more of that. So in a in the Clone Wars and in episode three. But I think it's interesting that fact that a lot of cases, these are their children, you know, and more, more or less because of their age gaps and, and Count Dooku being so much older, um, that was the case. So I thought that was really interesting. And the fact that he kind of says that to Yaddle, like, you know, they grow up so fast, don't they? And emphasizing that he's got this really deep connection that that's like the closest thing he has to his son. And then when he dies, he's like ready to like chop that tree down. He's walking, you know, he's looking at it. And the fact it's wilting. 
and that's a symbol uh, symbolism of the fact that you know going back to that uh, original episode um, that we thought was a lot the lost missions right of of Yoda and how that tree was you know kind of still wilting and he said that maybe yeah. this is you know this is not the end necessarily but you're seeing the start of the end of that that Dooku is seeing that firsthand and he's ready to like chop that it feels like he's ready to chop that thing down himself because he has in that I I forgot that he wasn't part of the order. That when I watched it, and that makes even more sense now that he's like, I'm ready to burn this whole mother to the ground because I lost my closest thing to a son because you know the Jedi are you know futile, which is also ironic because he knows Maul is tied to you know it's tied to everything. So there's he's so conflicted in that moment. It's a, it is really a beautiful moment, and so um, really well done this whole episode, and and Yaddle yeah. being there and concerned, I, I just love it. Yeah, and I love that moment when he goes to the hangar and he's talking to Palpatine and he's like, he's angry over the loss of, of Qui-Gon and is basically like, hey, like you've gone too far. And Palpatine says, like, hey, you lost an apprentice and so did I. Like, neither of us are happy about this situation. Yeah, man, this is, again, it's like bombshells being dropped as far as stuff we're learning about Dooku in this time period of how much involved he was with Palpatine during this time, which... For me, I, I didn't think it was this much. It was full. When I saw this, it was kind of like blowing my mind. Because um, I'm going to echo everything you guys said about that final sequence. It was fantastic. Dooku's relationship with Yaddle, that whole confrontation. And just the fact that this short story elevated Yaddle so much as a character. Because before mm -hmm. there was a time of the Phantom Menace, she was kind of looked on as a joke character, another version of Yoda's species that was a terrible puppet model that had like a bad wig on it. Just, it was like terrible shots that they use as publicity images of the character. She's always been kind of a joke, but now that she just had this great showing here and just made a really compelling character, which is really great to see. But one thing that I wanted to kind of get your guys' take on as far as um, kind of what was Palpatine, like in this time frame, knowing that Maul was still an apprentice, but yet he still was working with Dooku at this stage pretty closely as well. Just wondering, like, what was his, what was he thinking here? Was he kind of molding for Dooku to potentially be another apprentice? Uh, maybe foreseeing some that could, the Maul's death maybe in a vision? Or was he just kind of using Dooku as a tool here as a disillusioned Jedi who's losing faith in the Order and then he'd get rid of him um, eventually? Um, but when Maul got killed, he felt this was the opportunity now to bring him in as his next apprentice here. So just, made me start thinking about all these possibilities as far as what was Palpatine thinking his end game was with Dooku during this period, knowing that they were already working together when he still had Maul as his apprentice. So um, yeah, just made me think about this, the relationship in a whole new light here, knowing that during this era or this time period in the Phantom Menace that him and Dooku were working pretty closely already here when I didn't think that was the case until after Maul died. And that's when he got in contact with Dooku. So yeah, a lot of new information being revealed here. That's giving me a lot to think about. Well, I believe that's still the... I, I think that's also the case in the Plagueis novel. Because um, that wasn't really new information to me. I feel like in Plagueis, Palpatine is also, again, kind of allied with Dooku. Like, Dooku's not his apprentice yet. But I remember him talking, like, he basically thinks Maul is expendable. Like, and he knows, like, going forward. I even think, I don't know if I'm thinking of, um, 
of the Plagueis novel or maybe the Clone Wars, like the Son of Dathomir comic or something. He's a hammer. He's a hammer. Yeah, there's some story out right? there where it's like Palpatine almost it's a like, almost never really he almost never really fully considered Maul to be like his Sith apprentice. Maul was a weapon. Called him a yeah, um, yeah, a weapon or a hammer, something like that. He, he, he yeah. I, think it's the, I want to say it's the comic um, because when because remember he's trapped in the comic book. He's he's on that planet and um, he's he's being he's being tortured, or whatever, and he gets broken out by the. Um, by his Mandalorian people, and I want to say there's a lot of there's a lot of talk between Dooku and other people about the fact that he's he viewed him as he's more of a weapon or something like that. There's something well, weird because like I think that. I think Maul and Dooku even meet for the first time in that one because they capture. Yeah, they Dooku. do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I, I think there's there's bits of it in there, and I think it is also like referenced at the end of the Plagueis novel, which again I know is no longer canon, but like that's kind of where I've like sort of like where i still get a lot of my my information on this stuff until we get like new canon versions of those stories um yeah that must be one aspect of it that i obviously didn't remember too much of it did imply that fact that palpatine and dooku were working already closely during that time that time yeah time. there's there's definitely one scene where palpatine and dooku meet like at the senate or something and i think it's i think it's while dooku is still part of the jedi order but like they're they're close they're kind of chummy and i think they're talking about plans um and it's while maul is still alive and again so yeah i think part of it is that palpatine always kind of knew that maul was expendable he, like he never intended for maul to replace him as the sith lord he was like i'm just using this guy as an assassin as a blunt instrument to kind of serve this phase of my plan and i'll eventually replace him with somebody else i also think if he, you know, if he kept Maul as his apprentice, like if Maul hadn't died, I think he still would have wanted Dooku as an ally, just as someone who was disillusioned with the Jedi Order and, uh, you know, as to use as the figurehead for the Separatists, right? Because Palpatine's playing both sides, but he can't publicly, like as Sidious, he can't be the public face of the Separatists, but Dooku mm. can because he's respected as a former Jedi and because he has his standing as the Count of Sereno and all that kind of stuff. Um, so even if Dooku hadn't joined his side as a Sith Lord, I think he still, I think everything still would have played out the same with Dooku being the head of the Separatists and, um, you know, just being involved in, in all of Palpatine's plans for the Clone Wars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then of course there's the, the Anakin wrench too, right? It's like, when when maul dies but then he finds out oh this kid is the chosen one and i've got my sight set on him now like was that always part of his plan did he maybe yes, in initially just intend on dooku being his apprentice or was it like oh you know now now the plan is anakin but dooku's just gonna kind of be my bridge to get there and i think that was also that's how i always took it yeah, yeah. yeah like once once he sets his sights on anakin dooku is also temporary yeah um, plus it's like he doesn't have time to fully train someone in the ways of the dark side, like from scratch in the force um, to get yeah. the ball rolling on the clone wars and everything. So he has to take someone who's already trained in the force, but now just mold them in the ways of the dark side it would be a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. True. But also, I mean, again, like if, like if, he, well, I guess if Maul had never died, then like Maul would have been a lot more involved in the clone wars anyways. Um, 
basically, you know, kind of doing the same thing that Ventress did, like, you know, assassinating people and having lightsaber duels with Jedi and stuff. But like if Dooku never fully became a Sith Lord, but he still allied himself with Sidious and with the Separatists and everything, I think the Clone Wars would have played out pretty much the same because it's not like Dooku was always out there on the front lines with his red lightsaber and blasting people with lightning and stuff. Like most of his role was kind of political in that anyways. And so I think that's the main crux of like why Palpatine needed him as part of his plan. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's my take on it. Interesting stuff to think about now, regardless if it was mentioned in like some of the legend stuff, now that it's canon now, <laughs> it does make things a lot more interesting to think about within the main canon of Star Wars. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was for me, like just cream of the crop that's the best episode i mean again we talked about just the so many different elements like it wasn't just the lightsaber duel but it was that and the the qui-gon stuff and the yaddle stuff and the sifidea stuff and the you know just getting new information and piecing this all in the timeline like it was there was definitely like the most substantial and the most um i don't know kind of important and like gave us the most new information out of all these episodes so i like that one a lot um but then the next episode, as we go back to Ahsoka, uh, it's actually my second favorite episode, the one called Practice Makes Perfect, um, where we see basically for the entire episode, just Ahsoka training with Anakin and training with the clones. Um, and we see her, uh, you know, training at the Jedi Temple, basically taking this test with a bunch of masters watching, including Deba Balaba and Caleb Doom. So that was a cool little cameo. Um but we see her fighting against these training remotes that are, you know, it's supposed to be some some new thing that's, uh, you know, they're, they're programmed to simulate battle droids in a combat environment. And Ahsoka passes this test with flying colors and all the masters are impressed and Anakin's not impressed. Um, he's like, you know, I want you to be prepared for anything out there. Like droids are predictable. Um, you know, the, like being good against droids isn't good enough. Like you have to be prepared for anything. And so he takes her to this, uh, you know, this training facility, has her train against uh, Rex and all the clones and has them, you know, set their blasters to stun and just try to take out Ahsoka, um, which they do. They, you know, knock her down time and time again. Um, And again, it's one of those things where, like, it it seems kind of harsh. It's like, man, she's like 14, 15. Like, how many times are you going to knock this girl out with stun blasts? and you kind of see, you know, Anakin's methods being a bit harsh, but also you really, you know, they have a, a nice bonding moment where she's, you know, she's getting tired. She's like, oh, why are we doing this? Do I have to keep doing this? And he's like, you know, I'm doing this because I care, because I want you to be the best, because I want you to be prepared for anything. And like, you know, the the best way I can protect you is to teach you to protect yourself. And um you know, he's, I mean, you see how it's sort of weighing on him because Anakin's like 20 years old at this point and is tasked with being in charge of someone who's only a few years younger than him, who's a kid and keeping her alive during, you know, this this galactic war. So you can understand why he's like, you know, really wants to push her to make sure that she can, you know, kind of be prepared for anything and survive anything. And you, you kind of just see a almost this montage of like a progression of time of her training against these clones. And then it jumps forward to they're in the hangar of a a Venator star destroyer. And it's, you know, she's got the two lightsabers now and she's a little bit older, like she is in the later seasons of clone wars. And she's still training against the clones. And Rex is like, all right, you're doing better. It's taking us longer to take you down this time. Um, And then at the very end, it just jumps to, 
the you know the end of the siege of mandalore where she and rex are together on the ship and they're about to go out and face jesse and all the clones and rex says let's hope all that training paid off um and it was just like we knew I mean, first of all, like the fact that Ahsoka is a Padawan and is able to survive against the 501st for as long as she does when other Jedi Masters get cut down, you can already kind of put the pieces together that like, yes, she's skilled and capable in her own right, but also like only a kid trained by the Chosen One with help from Obi-Wan Kenobi could, you know, be as good as Ahsoka is at her age. Um, but then as you're watching her training, it's these clones and it's just like, you even see her do some of the same moves that she does in those siege of mandalore episodes like during order 66 there's like this flip that she does on that table when all the clones are around her and she does the same thing here um so it's cool just seeing those parallels and like knowing like oh okay this is why she was able to survive that situation because she had been through this in training like multiple times like she knew these guys and their tactics and anakin had prepared her for this sort of by accident like he wanted her to be prepared for anything probably never imagined that she'd have to actually fight the clones one day but um still it's like oh you know you're, you're watching this going oh okay this is how she survives i was not expecting it to then actually jump forward to that moment and uh kind of lead right into that scene in clone wars i almost want to like go back and watch the siege of mandalore now and then like pause it in the middle of that last episode and watch this and then go back into that and you know just kind of see it almost like as a, a flashback that's informing what's about to go down there um but it was just a really nice emotional callback uh you know just some lightsaber action with the training scenes but i just you know anakin and ahsoka are my favorites i love the interaction between those two and uh, getting to see Rex and the clones again. I even love that, you know, like the first time Ahsoka gets knocked out, uh, Rex goes like, oh, Jesse tagged you pretty good. And Jesse, you yeah. see a clone, a random clone in the back, put his hand up and go, oh, sorry, Commander. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's the guy that's going to become an ARC trooper and then lead the clone army against you in Order 66. But it's like, hey, at least she practiced training against him <laughs> and knew his tactics. So, um you know, and again, this was like, you know, compared to the the Dooku episodes and especially the last one, did not have a lot of like big plot moments or revelations or new information or anything like that. Um, but just as a, a huge Clone Wars fan and a big fan of, you know, Anakin and Ahsoka and Rex, it was just um, just some great moments and interactions between those characters. And I just I love this one a lot. Yeah, this was another really cool one just to see play out. And going into it, like you said, Kyle, we kind of we're putting the pieces together. Yeah, that yeah, this type of training that Ahsoka is going through right now, this is gonna help her survive Order 66. But to see the episode actually end on that note where we actually see Rex and Ahsoka about to walk onto the bridge through the door, that was just uh, like bravo, Dave. Like <laughs> so yeah. cool to do that is to be the bookend to this story. Um, even though we were all thinking it, the fact that they actually showed it and that, yeah, this is what this story was leading to was just so well done. I loved it. And one thing I thought we were going to see that we didn't was I thought this training Ahsoka was going to be doing, especially in the trailers where we saw glimpses and shots from the story, was how she was just doing the training with one lightsaber. So I did think this is where we're going to see maybe the reasoning for her using two lightsabers um, was because of the training. And maybe it still is. You can maybe make that argument that that's the case but we do later see her continue this training with her uh, dual lightsabers as she keeps uh wanting to practice uh, this method of training and 
I like how it goes. Like, Rex, like that when it goes to that next part where she had the two lightsabers, Rex just says, Oh, not bad. Like, you lasted five minutes this time or something like that before we stunned you. Mm-hmm. But yet, she's it's almost like the training that never ends. She just wants to be better and better of doing this. And just the, what Anakin is instilling in her as her master the need to go above and beyond in your training to uh, protect yourself, really, and to be the best that you can be. And, protecting yourself and others and just not relying on basic tactics and always thinking about uh, the unpredictable of what can happen in a battle. So I just like how that training of Anakin was really instilled in her, in her during this uh, story. And then on a <laughs> comedic note too, I just loved how the little bit of dialogue we got from Obi-Wan um, where Anakin comes in or Obi-Wan goes, Oh, you're right on time. And Anakin goes, Oh, I thought it was light. That's what I mean. And then Anakin does oh, the yeah. exact same thing to Ahsoka when she does that. Yep. Great stuff right there. So yeah, this one is also pretty high up there for me as far as amongst my favorites on these episodes. It was just a simple story, but really, really well done. Yeah, that was the one thing that I was bummed about was that we didn't see Anakin like training her with the second saber for the first time. Like I thought after a few rounds, he was going to go like, yeah. hey, you know what? Let's try something else. And and he gives her a second saber and goes, try this. And, you know, or I actually um, thought I still would have loved to see that, that story. I actually thought a way for her to kind of like do something, take a page out of Anakin's book where she's doing the training and then she takes his lightsaber from his hilt and then she starts using both of them. And that's where he realizes, oh, it's like she has, she's could do really well with two lightsabers here. I thought she might have done that, but still wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian. This is one of my, I not love this episode. I like, I, mean, I loved all of them, but I didn't love this one more than the other ones. This one felt like very much old hat for me. And I, I because I think mainly, honestly, I was expecting the, 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 the origin of the second saber and what that meant and everything. And like, Mm-hmm. what you know what was the reasoning and i felt like that might have, we've already got a reasoning without having the reason if that makes any sense like there probably was a conversation about what can help you like a handicap almost like um that kind of idea but either way it, it's still it's fine i liked it um you know i, I thought I had great moments i love the callback and everything but um yeah, it's one of those things where I just I didn't love this one as much as the other, so I don't really mu- have much to say on it personally. So, but I liked it. It was just not my favorite. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, and like I said, for me, I kind of went into it with that expectation that we were going to get to see the origin of the second saber. But I, like, first of all, I was just so happy to see Anakin and Ahsoka together again. You know, this was the one I was looking forward to. Like, all right, the, you know, this can be all Clone Wars nostalgia fan service, and I'm just going to eat it up. Um, but also, you know, kind of, it's like, I went in expecting, okay, I want like a logical, like canon explanation for something. And instead they just gave you a, an emotional gut punch instead. And just really reinforced like how much Anakin cared for Ahsoka, like the lengths that he would go to, to protect her and make sure that she was ready and capable for anything. And then connecting that to the extreme you know trials and tribulations that we've seen her go through and to just show that like she wouldn't have gotten through that without this you know this intense training that anakin put her through so um wasn't necessarily what i expected to get from it but it it really impressed me nonetheless um and then we get to the last episode called uh resolved i believe i'm gonna look this up real quick yeah it's resolved resolve um is the last episode 
And it's interesting because this episode is basically just a really condensed, streamlined version of the Ahsoka novel um, with a few differences. But like it, it starts out with uh, Padme's funeral, which I knew from the trailer that we were going to see Ahsoka at Padme's funeral. But to have it just start like that um, was, you know, again, just I was like, man, I was I was not emotionally prepared for this, but um you know, it was it was crazy to just see like Ahsoka there in the crowd and Bail Organa is like across the street from her and he spots her and then uh you know she kind of disappears and he goes and finds her and is like, Hey, you shouldn't be here. And uh, you know, she's like, I had to, like, she was my friend. Um, and I think I need to go back and watch it again, but I think she even says, you know, she says they both were. Um meaning Anakin and Ahsoka, but it didn't even occur to me watching it the first time that like, oh, she thinks Anakin is dead at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Might or have been at least... Bale who said that. Like, it's not your fault, like, for both of them or something like that. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, it was some, there's some reference to like two of them. And yeah. it's like, oh, they're talking about Padme and Anakin. But it, again, still, as I'm watching it, I didn't make the connection that like, oh, she's also grieving the loss of Anakin right now. Um which is just like, I need to go back and watch it again with that context. Like that alone makes it that much more heartbreaking. Um, but then, you know, he, he tries to give her a calm link and says, you know, Hey, uh, you know, call me if you need anything. And basically you see that he's already kind of starting to like, Hey, this isn't over yet. Like we, we still got to stick together. And she's like, no, I'm done fighting. I'm walking away. Um, she keeps the calm link. And uh, you know, I like the scene where like the couple of clone troopers come out and Ahsoka disappears, but Bale is talking to the clones, but like talking to Ahsoka through them, like knowing that she's still mm. in earshot. <laughs> um, and it's kind of saying like, you know, oh yeah, like have a great day officers. Like we need to stick together and call me if you need anything. And the clones are just kind of like, well, okay. Um, but obviously like Ahsoka hears him and, and gets the message at least enough that she still keeps that calm link. Um, and then we, we jump ahead uh you know, an undetermined amount of time later and she's living on this, you know, planet with this small farming village. And, uh, you know, and this is where, like, this is pretty much what was going on in this open novel, right? Where, like, she's hiding, she's trying to blend in with normal people. Um, but then, like, she, uh, you know, there's this one villager that is about to get crushed by this falling bale of hay and Ahsoka uses the force to push it out of the way and the girl notices, Um and uh, she tries to like talk to Ahsoka about it and is like, oh, you know, she's so excited. Like, oh, you're a Jedi and you're here to help us and blah, 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 whatever. And Ahsoka's like, shh, quiet. Like, don't tell anybody. I'm I'm keeping it on the down low. Um, and this girl's brother, who is like an Imperial loyalist and thinking like, oh, the Empire is great and they've brought us order and blah, 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 whatever. He turns her in. And so Ahsoka and her friend go into town one day to sell their stuff. They come back and the whole village is burned down. And there's this inquisitor there that's looking for her. Um, and, uh, you know, he almost kills the the guy who turned Ahsoka in, um, you know, because he wants a reward. And he's like, here's your reward. And he's about to kill him. And Ahsoka uses his force to pull him out of the way. And uh, th- then she takes down this inquisitor real quick. Like, he's super <laughs> cool looking, sounds super cool, like voiced by Clancy Brown. His lightsaber sounds like Kylo Ren's lightsaber. Um and, uh, you know, he takes a few swings at Ahsoka. She dodges, then manages to disarm him, take his lightsaber and cut him down in one stroke. Um, so again, seeing that, like, she's very capable, she's prepared for anything. Um, 
and that these inquisitors, you know, are definitely not Sith lords. Like they're a, a notch below, you know, top tier villains. But um, yeah, it was a cool little confrontation. Um, and then Ahsoka calls Bail to come and uh, you know help like relocate the rest of these refugees. And then she realizes, of course, that like she can't stay hidden forever. She can't stay out of the fight. Like she's gonna get back in it with Bail and start helping people and. Uh, you know, they, again, like it, it follows a lot of the same beats as the Ahsoka novel with some some details omitted that they could have included if um, if the episode had been longer. Like, for example, we see her take the Inquisitor's lightsaber. We don't see her purify the crystals and then build her own lightsabers, which I was hoping we would see. Yeah, I thought that um, was a given, to be honest. <laughs> We're going to get yeah. that to end the story, but. But at least, you know, you know how the story goes, you know that, you know, that she probably kept that lightsaber and that that's where she gets, eventually gets hers from. Um, Also, I believe at the end of the book is when Bale gives her the code name Fulcrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't see that here. But again, like, you know, we we know where all this is heading. Um, And I've also seen some, um, you know, there's there's been some people who've been critical of this, this episode in particular, also some of the Dooku ones just for not sticking to continuity but you know one of the big criticisms with this episode is that um you know in the the book it's like two sisters that ahsoka is hiding out with um and one of them like has a crush on her and it's kind of like one of the first more or less confirmed um gay characters in like the new star wars canon i guess in any Star Wars canon. um and people are, you know, there's some people that are upset that um, that character has sort of been erased, I guess, which is definitely a valid criticism. Um, but I don't know that I would say like, and I've seen people being like, oh, they they eradicated, you know, this important gay character. I wouldn't say they eradicated anything. I think there's definitely still room for like multiple interpretations of the story because this is, you know, because these are all shorts and it's so streamlined. Um, that's maybe, you know, maybe they just didn't want to... Um, include that subplot and i've also seen because i mean it's been forever since i read the ahsoka book but apparently those two girls are described as like having darker skin too and then the the new characters that they came up with like this girl and her brother are kind of like lighter skinned and i'm like i could maybe see a scenario where they maybe just wanted to avoid confusion with the martez sisters um if they had, you know, kind of two dark skin looking girls that like, it's like, we saw that with Ahsoka with Clone Wars. So maybe they just wanted to kind of change it up a bit. I don't know. Um, There's definitely, you know, a a valid credit for, especially for people that are fans of those books and that material. Um, But for me, like I even saw, I forget where it was. There was some official description of Tales of the Jedi that described these as like parables or something. And so, um, again, because these are short, sort of these like short snapshot type stories, um, I, like the Dooku stuff seems pretty concrete as far as like the, the timelining of Sifo-Dyas and all that kind of stuff. But as far as like when you have a, an episode like this, that is clearly like a condensed version of an existing story, I wouldn't say that one is erasing the other. It's just kind of different interpretations of it. That's how I see it. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it I worked for me. It, it worked for me. I liked yep. it. Um, but yeah, I was, I will say like it, it wasn't, um, I mean, this one wasn't like my favorite out of the bunch just because it did feel, I don't want to say rushed. Um, I feel like the whole story with like the village and the inquisitor and everything, it was just kind of like, we knew where it was going and it felt very kind of, 
um, like just the bare essentials to to get us where we needed to go. For me, the the emotional impact of the story was like the stuff at the beginning with Padme's funeral and Bale, and then again at the end seeing Ahsoka kind of getting back in the fight. Um, which again, like we knew that she was going to get there, but it was it was kind of nice to just see that journey. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, I. I think this was a solid episode. I am not a big fan of that Ahsoka novel, and I just thought it was not what written well, to be honest. It's not, it's, yeah, all the way around, it's not really interested in it. Um, and I gotta tell you that I think this was a very short. To me, this is emulates a lot like the Canaan comic book that um, was uh, that kind of the same kind of deal, right? There was. There's the the things that the details are different, but the in essence the same things happen. Inquisitor comes, she defeats an Inquisitor. They're kind of farming on the same thing, and it all works out. Like that to me is what it you know, is, or it kind of all ends somewhat the same, except it's a little bit different in how it got there. And uh, to me, the details don't really bother me. It's more of the um, I just want to get the. I want to get there, and I seeing it on screen was fun. The, I did like the fact that, like the you know the the one fight between the Inquisitor was pretty was pretty fast. Um, yeah, again, I, I, the Ahsoka stuff wasn't my favorite of, of all of this, but I still really enjoyed it, and I, I thought the Inquisitor was cool. I almost thought that Inquisitor was going to be Barrett Thoffy, um, but for yeah, a second, I'm, I'm I thought sure that too. The way he recognized her, yeah, yeah, yeah is so, got to uh, still be out there somewhere. You would think that like it's eventually going to happen, and these days, it's a story going to be worth telling, and I can't wait for them to get there. At least I, I would assume so, but who knows? Yeah, as cool as that fight was, Ahsoka had with the Inquisitor, and how amazing the animation looked with the flames and the cool design of the Inquisitor. Which I, another thing too, I was surprised when she killed him and decapitated him is like his almost like his body was made of energy or something because you kind of see like the mask and like the cloak just kind of sink down as like the yeah. body disappeared so to speak like oh he did become a force ghost. i don't think so and i wonder if it is a specific type of species he was that was like made of i don't know energy gas or something like that but it, just, it was strange that that's how he went out after she chopped his head off um his body kind of just disappeared but i don't know i guess we'll have to wait and see if they reveal what type of species that inquisitors was but as cool as all that stuff was, the highlight of this short for me was the beginning. Just knowing the fact that Ahsoka felt like she had to and she was there for Padme's funeral, I, I think is just kind of really beautiful to see. Just cementing, like she said, how good of friends they were. And not that she was only there. Rex was there too. I don't know if he was actually there in attendance at the funeral, but um, they flew together after that moment. Um, we've seen him in the finale of the Clone Wars. where I thought they were mm -hmm. kind of going to go their separate ways at that moment but the fact that they did kind of stick together for a little bit at least to the point to the point to go to Padme's funeral I thought it was really cool to learn that and just knowing that um, they were still uh, together for a little bit longer than what we saw them in the finale so I just loved all that stuff to me just knowing the fact that Padme and Rex I mean uh, Ahsoka and Rex were on Naboo for Padme's funeral I just think it's really cool to have that information now when uh, we watch Revenge of the Sith and we're at the ending of the movie. We see that funeral sequence knowing that Ahsoka is actually there amongst the crowd and somewhere on the planet <laughs> Rex is there. I think it would be cool if Rex was there 
kind of wizard also and maybe when she left he just went straight <laughs> to the ship to get it ready so they can leave but um i don't know part of me still the more likely scenario is that he's just kind of waiting for her to go to the funeral then they'd be ready to take off right away but still i just love the fact that they were both on the move for that reason so yeah definitely the highlight of the episode for me was that opening sequence and um yeah and as we were talking about earlier too i was expecting to see the purifying of those inquisitors blades and see the first um time she would ignite her lightsabers with the white blades but um i guess they didn't want to do that just yet or maybe um even though they were doing some things from the Ahsoka novel and maybe changing a few things here and there. Maybe they didn't want to touch that aspect of it because that was such a big and pivotal moment for the book. They're going to kind of let that big moment be exclusive to that book. I don't know if that was the reasoning behind there, but um, it's still all, for the most part, you can look at it as that what happened to Ahsoka during that time period is taking place. Those events um, can still um, match up overall as far as the big story points as we've been saying a lot lately when talking about sometimes when the tv shows switch up certain things and whether you want to call it retconning it or certain aspects of it it all still tells the same uh, pretty much basic story that they're trying to tell in both versions the characters end up in the same spot and that's the case i think with ahsoka in this short as, as well so yeah um a solid ending to the not only this Ahsoka story arc, but also just to the first, hopefully the first of a few seasons of Tales of the Jedi, because man, after how great this was, I really hope we get more. It's such a really cool format uh, to have now. And just another thing that Lucasfilm can utilize to tell more Star Wars stories this way. I think it's a perfect avenue to do that. Let's get more seasons of Tales of the Jedi with different either Jedi characters that we know, or I'm hoping some brand new characters and some from way back in the history of the old Republic, even before the high Republic, let's go way back and let's get tales of the Sith too. That would be awesome. Maybe we can mm -hmm. get some cool uh, Darth Plagueis canon stories um, in there too. Darth Bane, Darth Revan, Darth Malak, early Palpatine. So oh, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> and now knowing that yeah. this format, I think worked so well now that we have seen it. Uh, I just really hope they explore this Avenue more so with future stories down the line. I think this was a huge, huge win. Yeah, definitely. I like the balance too of like I feel like these episodes were all as long as they needed to be. Yeah. Um yeah. especially with the Agreed. with the Ahsoka ones because we even we mentioned like there's sort of pivotal stuff in all of the Ahsoka episodes that we were maybe expecting to see or hoping to see like in the episode with her as a baby. We thought we might see Plo Koon come and take her to the Jedi Temple uh with the the one with anakin and the clones we thought we might see him actually like give her her second saber or, like training her specifically and using that and then um with the last episode you know just seeing more details from the the previous version of that story we know whether it be uh additional characters or her you know using the lightsaber crystals or anything like that um but I think obviously like Dave had a goal in mind when writing these and it's more of like a, a sort of central theme or a lesson or something like that, um, that each episode gets across, you know, the first one, like, it's not about, Oh, how does she become a Jedi? It's more about like the, the lessons uh, that, you know, her people instill in her from an early age um, with the clone wars one, you know, again, it's not about uh, how many lightsabers does she have or like, you know, any, any specific moments where, um, you know, when Anakin gives her something or where she does something for the first time, it's about his his caring for her and his tenacity in training her and how that pays off in the end. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, with the last episode, it really is just about her getting back in the fight, you know, and her finding that desire to help people and to keep fighting and not to just hide. Um, and I think they, you know, they get those points across all, you know, very well. And then with the Dooku ones, I mean, those ones are a little bit more, you know, we're getting more information that we didn't know about Dooku and, and seeing specific moments in his life. But again, it's all building to something and, um, you know, those episodes are just as long as they need to be. Because all of these, I think the shortest one is like 10 minutes and the longest one's like 18. Um, so these definitely are not like full length Clone Wars episodes or anything like that. And if they had been, you know, you would have had more characters and subplots and, uh, you know, things to kind of fill the time. But I, you know, I, I like, um, you know, as much as I love Clone Wars and Rebels and getting that long weekly format, I also like getting, you know, just kind of small bite sized stuff like this that, that tells one specific story or gets a certain message or point across. And it's just as long as it needs to be. So, um, you know, heck yeah, I'm, I'm totally down for more of these as much as I would love, you know, a, a dedicated ongoing animated series about the old Republic or about Luke's Jedi Academy or something like that. If they want to do little animated vignettes like this, um, you know, more tales of the Jedi where we get some, like, I would love to see, if we get a Tales of the Jedi season two, I would love to see like three episodes about Luke in between six and seven, like training Ben Solo. I think that would be perfect. In fact, that yeah. might work even better than an ongoing animated series. You could use that to do for Ben Solo what you did for Dooku in this um, because there's just such a big chunk of his of his life in that timeline that we haven't explored yet. Um you know, so yeah, give me another six episodes where three are about Luke and Ben Solo and then three about, I don't even care who else, like that three alone would be worth it. But um, yeah, you could do High Republic Jedi, Old Republic Jedi, um, or, you know, more more Jedi from the prequels or anything like that. Like, I would just love to see them continue to tell more stories in this format and flesh out more characters and, and, you know, give us some new stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily have to be stretched out over an entire season of TV. Um, so, yeah, I thought these were I thought all of them were great. I can't wait to go back and watch them again. And I can't wait to hopefully get some more. Yeah, I think the Tales of Jedi format, uh, it, it, this one particularly is perfect for it. But I'm going to say right now, too, that I think Tales of Jedi could work for episode before comic book, movie, book, whatever you want to call it use this as a way to tell random Jedi stories that they don't have to be about, you know, moving the greater narrative. It could be about just, you know, character studies of, of certain people. And I think that that's the strength of the tales of the Jedi uh, moniker. And I think that it can be used really well and different in that way. And I, I love how they used it for this. I don't need to have it exactly like this to tell, you know, certain tales of just 15 minute episodes, it could just be a very you know single moment of time. And I think that's what I think this, the Tales of the Jedi is probably more of. It's more of just a single moment of time for a Jedi. And I think that you could that single moment of time could be an entire film or a comic book, book, whatever you want to call it. And so, yeah, I would love more of these. More of these, please. And let's get out of the era of the Skywalker saga. Let's go pre. Let's go, let's go High Republic. Let's go you know whatever let's give me more give me outside of the sequel trilogy give me in sequel trilogy give me all over the place but let's stay out of just one area of the prequel trilogy let's go out let's go before let's, let's give me more but yeah i love what we got the animation's incredible oh yeah absolutely i mean again i said it before but like 
the animation across all of these was fantastic. But in the last episode, um, there was a scene, and it's probably because it's dark, but when Ahsoka's on Naboo, and after she has the, the talk with Bail Organa, and there's a scene where she's walking back to Rex in the ship, and she's, like, walking along a riverbank, and there's, like, you know, the water flowing next to her and the night sky above her. And I swear for a split second, I was like, did Dave Filoni just throw some footage from the Ahsoka show in here? I was like, did this just go to live action? And then I was like, oh, no, it's still animated. But, like, just for the first couple seconds of that shot, like, it looked so real. I was like, it, it threw me off. Um there's actually a couple of shots that kind of made me think that too. Yeah, it was that was the the only one I remember just thinking it looked that realistic. But I mean, with all of them, just especially the lighting. Um, gosh, even going back to that first episode, we're in the they're in the forest and just people subtly like moving in and out of like light coming through trees and stuff. Like it's it's just crazy what they're able to do now. Um you know, even in my mind, I was making a picture of like Anakin and Ahsoka together in that fifth episode um, versus like the Clone Wars movie. And, you know, like a, one of those, like how it started, how it's going kind mm -hmm. of things, just <laughs> seeing the jump in animation quality from not even 15 years ago, which is wild. Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome to see them, you know, just continue to to raise the bar. I can't wait to see how good Bad Batch season two looks. Um, which is weird that we're still waiting on that. Like the fact that that was initially supposed to come out in September. And again, maybe they just didn't want to crowd the, 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 the calendar too much with too much star Wars stuff going on at once. Because I mean, honestly, for me, like having Andor and tales of the Jedi going right now, um, like I'm, I'm satisfied. Like, you know, this is enough star Wars stuff for me for right now. And then knowing that we've got bad badge coming in January and Mando season three coming in February, um, I'm kind of glad that we don't have Bad Batch stacked on top of it right now. And I mean, maybe that was the intention, right? Maybe that's why they push it back that far is to just not have it be crowded. But I just hope that they continue to prioritize the animated stuff and keep making stuff that looks this good and just keep making it better and better. Heck, I hope eventually we get an animated Star Wars movie um, either for, you know, Disney Plus or even, you know, that's re released theatrically. Um, and again, to just be able to see the jump from like, hey, here was the Clone Wars movie in theaters, you know, 14 years ago that everybody said looked like, you know, some bad puppets and, you know, didn't get very good critic reviews. And then to uh, to just blow them away with, with the uh, the stuff that we've got now, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, again, possibilities are endless with this type of storytelling format, I think. So hopefully this is just the tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. for what's to come. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, yeah, glad we all get on here and, and talk about Tales of the Jedi. Uh, glad it's finally here and we all enjoyed it. And we hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. Uh, before we wrap up, um, Tim, did we get any comments from people on Twitter or, you know, social media or whatever, you know, with, with people talking about how much they liked it too? Yeah, I've got a couple of responses on Twitter. First up from Hassan Scarborough, who says, all six episodes were outstanding. The storytelling, lore and insight with Kiner's music throughout with the chef's kits emoji, <laughs> which was a perfect uh, way to show just how great those were. And then Jordan Wingen says, I've only seen the first hour, but love them, especially the three Dooku episodes. So I think that is the consensus. Uh, from what I've seen, most everyone's enjoying the series as a whole, but those Dooku ones were just 
uh, some special Star Wars stuff that we got right there. So I'm glad to see that's kind of how most fans are reacting to the series and those specific episodes regarding Dooku. Yeah, and that's a good point too. We didn't even mention uh, the music um, from Kevin Kiner. I mean, that was another thing that I thought was just yeah, fantastic music was next level. That yeah, was maybe was... his best per- his best music he's he's done for any of the animated shows, bar none. Possibly, I mean, it's it, like the stuff for Siege of Mandalore was so dang good. Um, in fact, that's, that's fair, probably still this... that's probably still my favorite. I mean, that throne room duel between Maul and Ahsoka. Um, and the build up to that, but, and then the stuff you know to order, order sixty six in the next episode. Um, there, but all that to say, like it maybe wasn't like clearly far and away better than anything he's ever done before, but it was definitely among the best stuff, and it was it was it perfectly yeah. fit everything that was going on in the episodes. Yeah, no, I, I thought the music was just really. It felt more creative less obvious and very uh, much more mood driven than the other um than anything he's done on any of the any of the stuff so yeah i I love this uh, music a lot the most probably yeah that was just one more great aspect of it um but yeah thank you guys for for chiming in with your thoughts um and of course if you guys want to interact with us and send us thoughts comments questions whatever you follow us online at uh, at Star Wars TSC on Twitter. Uh, we're at Star Wars. The saga continues on Facebook. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can uh, check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com um, for all of our latest news stories and, and episodes and all that good stuff. Also, I didn't mention at the beginning, but this just happens to be our 199th episode. Um, Give or take, we've had uh, we've we've had at least one episode that we've recorded that so far hasn't been released. Um, actually, two if you count the time that we did a like five hour read through of Colin Trevorrow's Duel of the Fates script. Um, uh, I don't know if I still have that file, but I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll make a Patreon or something just so people can hear like pay us to hear that ridiculousness. <laughs> um, and I think we oh. had at least one episode one time where we made it like a. I think the episode before episode seven came out, we made it like episode 69.5 just so we could have episode 70 be our, our episode seven review episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> but keep regardless, this is officially our episode yeah, number 199. Cool. Our next episode will be episode 200. And it just so happens we're also going to be celebrating 10 years of doing this. Um which is crazy that time has flown by. <laughs> In fact, actually, our, our official 10-year anniversary, I think, is going to be like this weekend. Um, You're right, yeah. Man, it's going to be 10 years since not only did we start this podcast, because we you sent me the message about starting the podcast, I think, like a day after the announcement that Disney was buying Star Wars. So It was either the day after, or it may have even been that day um possibly yeah it was it was you know we should save that story for the next episode yeah. we'll, we'll look back on the past 10 years and talk about how we even got into this in the first place um but uh yeah so that's obviously a, a huge special milestone for us coming up like i said it's officially this weekend is going to be 10 years since we started the podcast um but i'm actually going to be out of town with my wife visiting family we're going to be on another trip then when I come back, 
the following week, I'm going out to California to visit Tim and we're going to hang out, uh, go to Galaxy's Edge for a day and sit down and record an episode in person. Paul may or may not be there as well, but, you know, if he's not able to come, you know, we'll, we'll get him on, in on the episode as well. But um, that'll be fun because, I mean, we've hung out in person before. Obviously, we've been to Celebration and, you know, we've, we've I mean, you guys were both at my wedding. Um you know, this is not the first time that we've met up, but it will be the first time that we've sat down at a mic and recorded an episode together in person. So that'll be yep. fun. Um, you know, we'll talk about Andor, we'll talk about Galaxy's Edge, and we'll talk about uh, just kind of reminisce on 10 years of doing the saga continues. So look forward to that for what is sure to be a, a fun and special episode um, in you know, a couple weeks when we get to record that. So um that's going to be a blast but until then uh this has also been a blast hope you guys have enjoyed it uh go watch tales of the jedi again it's short it's easy to binge and rewatch. that's what i'm going to do um but thank you guys for tuning in as always we will see you next time and may the force be with you see you next time everybody godspeed rebels